This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm joined with my guest, Bianca Ramirez, the founder of Awaken, which is a movement based on Christian leadership for young women, and she's going to go into that a little bit later, but I'm so grateful to have you here, and just for a little bit of background, we met kind of through a church women's group and one night, and she was speaking, and I just thought what she's doing in the community, especially when it relates to mental health with teens, is so inspiring and Really wanted her to come on and talk about everything she's doing. So thank you so much for joining, Bianca. Thank you. This is super awesome. I'm really excited to be able to go in more detail about everything that's been happening with Awaken and with my life and everything that really is taking place in our world. Mm -hmm. Um, I know we're, you know, we're young. Mm -hmm. Um, So Still young. uh, Yeah, of course. Young (laughs) at heart. Young, wild, and free. So it's really awesome to be able to be uh, with you. You're an inspiration, so I'm super excited to go into that. Thank you. Well, let's get right into it. I want to talk about some things that were a little bit more foundational. So where are you originally from? So I am originally from here, from San Diego, but I did grow up in Tijuana, so just across the border. Um, I did my elementary school years there, and um, very few people know that. I guess it wasn't a big deal for me, but now that I'm like really acquainted with the culture, it's it actually is a huge blessing and a benefit to be bilingual. Mm-hmm. So I uh, did my junior high and high school here, my college and my master's. Um, so mainly in San Diego, beautiful, sunny San Diego. Awesome. So what was your life like, or what was the culture of your life like when you were younger and when did Christ become an important part of your life? Yeah. So, um, living in Tijuana, a lot of the Hispanic culture is really about elderly. So I had my grandmother live with me and for the first Five, six years of my life, my grandma raised me because both of my parents worked full time over here across the border in the United States. Um, So my first uh, younger years, I uh, grew up in the Catholic Church, not really went every Sunday or did any of the traditional stuff. It was just sort of like, what are you? Oh, I'm Catholic. And but I didn't know much of it. And it wasn't until my mom starting attend started attending a all women's Bible study at a hair salon. She got invited to it by her hairstylist and since day one that she attended, um, a lot of the things that were mentioned were applicable to her and to her marriage. And my parents were having a really rough time in their marriage. My dad on the other end was completely opposite to my mom and was atheist, didn't believe in God, didn't really believe in anything at all. And just thought like, we're living this world, we're living life in this world, make the best of it. And so he's an extremely hard worker. And so most of his time was dedicated in that But after my mom um, had this encounter with Jesus and began to read the Bible and really gain knowledge of who Jesus is and who God is, um, she fell in love with it. And it comforted her in times where she felt really alone and really 
um, desperate for help and for support from other people. So within that Bible study, she found amazing friends who are now like have become family to me as well. And um, after my mom began praying, she her main prayer was that my dad would come to the faith. Um, my dad was addicted to drugs and alcohol. And so majority of my childhood was spent with a sort of, um, invisible father figure. Like he was there and he provided financially, but was never there emotionally. And so, um, that takes a toll on a young girl and, and, and a boy too, but it was huge for me because growing up, I grew up with a lot of insecurities and, um, didn't really have daddy issues per se, but a lot of my attention, I wanted it from boys because I didn't get it from dad. So, um, I think it was a year or two after my mom continued to go to this group and starting a, started attending a church in TJ, um, that my dad, uh, finally decided to go. And that day that he went, his life was completely changed. He, um, dropped alcohol and drugs in that instant it wasn't wow. like it took him years mm-hmm. it really was it's really neat to hear him share the story but it really was like he said that he walked into that church into that building and he couldn't control himself and started crying mm-hmm. and it, he said that it was almost like he felt his heart just begin to burst with life and so he decided to give his life to Jesus that night and decided to break old habits and start putting more of a love type of relationship with mom and I. So it, it was really awesome. I, I'm so thankful for that. That is so beautiful. That's so amazing. And you know, you talk about really having the, um, you know, I think there's a lot of girls that either it's the dad or the yeah. mom and, you know, it can be boys or girls yeah. that end up going down certain paths. And I've even seen this with not everybody who becomes huge in social media, but it does seem to be a bit of a trend that a lot of the kids mm-hmm. that get very much into social media can come from yeah. broken homes where they are trying to find their sense of purpose, their sense of that attention-seeking yeah. type behavior, um, use that platform for that. Um, and it is what it is. I think that there can be things done to kind of help the root of the cause, mm-hmm. and I think you're doing a lot of good things as far as work with Awaken, which we'll get to later. But it is important, I feel yeah. like, to have that addressed totally. and to be in a supportive community. So what types of adversity did you face as you were growing up and what really helped you get through that? So I would say, so when I was going over that question and really thinking like, what have I gone through that really like shook me up or really Um, was a positive or um, incorrect impact in my life. I think the thing that was most impactful to me was the whole daddy relationship. Mm -hmm. And um, if you think about it, it was only for a couple years of my life, my younger years, that that really was a a void relationship. And it, it didn't go farther into my teens. But because it was during my childhood, it was such a pivotal moment in my in my age and anyone's age. I think sometimes we excuse like childhood. Oh, it happened when you were five. How Mm -hmm. do you remember that? Or kind of like get over it type of thing. Like unless it happened in your teens, then wow, that's impactful. But it was really, really bad for me. It was a negative thing. It was something that I was missing. And so I can tell you from now, now that I am 26, that I saw patterns in my life where I just wanted attention. And and dad began to give me attention and love and would take me out on like dates and stuff. But I would 
seem to just regress to that memory. Like, why didn't my dad provide the love and care that he's supposed to provide? And as much as I prayed about it and I wanted to get over it, it was still there and, mm-hmm. and, and it needed to be addressed. And, and, um, so I think that was huge for me. The fact that um, my dad wasn't very present emotionally. Um, cause it's cool when people are present, you know, embody and give their attention, but he didn't really invest time and, and it almost felt like he had to love me because this new thing called the Bible came in and it told, and it told him to give more of his time and more of his dedication to family. So sometimes I felt like it was not genuine. Like he was mm-hmm. almost doing it because he had to and because right. he already expressed himself as a Christian or as a Jesus follower. And so that was a struggle for me to really like look at him and like, are you being genuine right now? Like you buying me a gift, is this for real? Or is it because my mom told you? Mm-hmm. Um, so I noticed a pattern in my teen years um, where I wanted a boyfriend at a really, really young age that now I can say do not date when you're 13 or 15 or 16. Like, wait till you're mature enough and till you go over that stage of like, who am I and what am I called to be? And you you know that like, what do I st- like? Yes. What do I want? What do I enjoy? At that yeah. age, I didn't even know, like I changed my favorite color every, every stinking day. Like True. I didn't even know like yeah. my favorite food or what I wanted to be when I grew up. So um, I started talking to a lot of boys, not really dating until I was 15. And so as, as long as a boy gave me attention or called me pretty, I gave in quickly. And so I Which noticed so uncommon oh for a gosh. lot of girls. And yeah. I feel like, Really, there's been a lot of different variables that have changed that, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think students or, you know, teens feel pretty pressured to post certain things and act in certain ways. And um, there's a lot more. There's a lot of a different pressure around that. Yeah. 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 Um, so I've gotten over the time, gotten to meet younger girls who I see these same patterns. And my first like hunch is how's their relationship with their dad? Mm. And so I remember I started going to therapy when I was younger um, because my mom noticed that something was wrong with me. I would have crying spells randomly. I was, um, my grades weren't that great. And I always seemed to have straight A's or at least like A's and B's. I started getting C's and D's and my mom panicked and thought maybe there's something really serious going on at school. She maybe something happened and she doesn't know how to tell me. So she was, it's awesome, awesome of her that she was able to like connect me to a, an amazing resource, which is therapy. And so after a couple of sessions with my therapist, I found out that I had a grudge towards my dad, that I was angry at him for not being there for me. Mm -hmm. And even though he was there for me like already, and I could say he was very consistent with his love and it was genuine, I still looked at him with anger at like, why would you do this to me and mom? And so it took me a couple of months to truly like forgive my dad and to truly understand what forgiveness really meant and so I went through this journey along with my dad because in a couple sessions the therapist really encouraged to bring my dad along and that was super healing just having my dad there and being able to talk to him like dad this is how I feel and and even though I was scared to tell him like I don't I didn't want to hurt his feelings you know but I needed I needed to let it bring it to light and bring it about verbally Mm -hmm. 
So that was something that after I really dealt with it, and sometimes it tries to come back and, you know, tries to haunt you, the memories or whatever you did in the past tries to haunt you and stop you from going for, forward in whatever stage in life you are. I give it to God. I'm like, God, I, mm-hmm. I, I've, you died for this on the grave. You gave your life for this and you teach us to forgive others and to treat others the way that we want to be totally. treated. So that was huge for me to be able to love my dad in an unconditional way and to yeah. really forgive his absence because he was taught nothing but that just yeah. to work and work and provide and not really be emotionally um, attached or working with your family. Yeah. And I think sometimes it can be difficult when it comes to forgiveness because people can do things. And from our perspective, it's so hurtful. Mm-hmm. And then from their perspective, they're like, I don't know, I'm just doing the best that I can. Yeah. Like, you know, it's in the past, let's move on. And it kind of almost seems like, oh, you're just going to say it's in the past, let's move on. And that just erases mm-hmm. everything. Like that doesn't change things. And it can be a little bit frustrating to deal with that. I know for a lot of people, I can kind of like hear the audience thinking this a little bit, but it's it's difficult sometimes yeah. to, to go down that path and um, really forgive somebody and be like, you know, just give it to a higher power or just let it go, yeah. whatever it yeah. is, because to continue to ruminate on it is not going to help the situation, but really getting to the root of it and finding a solution and apologizing yeah. if necessary. Um, I think that can lead towards a lot of healing. And um, now what? how did you cope with facing kind of that inevitable of adversity and even rejection as you were growing up. Cause I mean, you talk about kind of relationships and guys yeah. and this type of thing. And you know, this happens as we go through adolescence and into adulthood. I mean, it's something that we face a lot throughout our life. And I know being in the performing arts realm as a professional dancer and growing up doing auditions and, you know, um, kind of being in that process where you're going to face rejection. Mm-hmm. You're either going to get typecast where yeah. they want, you know, a, a tall, um, you know, slender person or they want a shorter blonde hair with blue eyes or a redhead. Like they want different yeah. things for different stuff. And it's like to a certain extent, you can't necessarily take it personal. Yeah. But I think in life, sometimes you think or we feel some people feel that you need to this pressure to meet everybody's expectations where, mm. you know, I think as you mature, you learn like can't please everybody <laughs> yeah, yeah. is what it is. You know, you move on from things. But what was it like for you to kind of deal with that and what helped guide you through? So for me, it, um, so I started that whole therapy process when I was 14, 15. Um, but I'm a very impatient person naturally. Like I'm extremely impatient. And so when I started therapy, I remember I just want this to go like this needs to go because I would see how it would um, completely cause me to freeze in situations and like, no, this isn't be paralyzing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I felt insecure in a lot of things because of that. That mm-hmm. was the root. And so I had to come to terms with myself in that everything is a process and it's okay to be in the process. And in the process, God built my character and God prepared my heart for that time that I was going to say, Dad, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. I forgive you, even though you might not tell me I'm sorry. I, I want to forgive you for yes. my own good, for yeah. the well-being of my heart mm-hmm. and my emotional state and my relationship with Jesus. And so 
for me, what got me through was that understanding that it was going to take time and it is okay. Mm -hmm. I think especially now with technology and, you know, the millennials wanting everything now, like Mm -hmm. I really feel like we're a very impatient generation. And so I've noticed even in... I think it's not just the millennials. I think it is really a sociocultural thing that most (laughs) people are just like, I want my Amazon package tomorrow. (laughs) You know, like that is, it is, it's kind of become a part of our culture with more mainstream things becoming so um you know easy to access yeah. if yeah. you have access to something and you can get it faster why wait type yes. of a thing you know but i do feel like it is kind of a cultural yeah, thing. yeah it is i agree it is a cultural thing um and and, and i even see it in uh, in therapy where a lot of my patients and my clients are like desperate to to reach the end of session already yes. and desperate to finish the 16 sessions that we have scheduled. And it, it's hard when you have that mentality of, I want it now and like, just give it, just tell me what I have to do. And it's like, no, well, I can't tell you what you have to do. Like it's mm-hmm. a process of discovering yourself and really um, working through what happened to you. So for me, it was really working through it in a process and also clinging to God, like n- understanding that all over scripture, a lot of people went through years of like this process and Moses and Esther, you know, just waiting like for the next cue from God, like turn left, turn right. And sometimes he doesn't even tell you specific things. He's an Abraham. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, so he waited a long time. <laughs> Yep. (laughs) So for me, it was definitely that. I'd say the process and embracing the process and allowing it to teach me whatever it needed to Mm -hmm. teach me. Yeah. So now when it comes to, you know, you talk about you've been through a lot of things in high school. Do you think things have changed for teens in the sense or how have they changed? How have they stayed the same when it comes to kind of that external seeking of validation do you feel like it is more so now or they're trying to fit certain patterns Mm -hmm. or it's more robotic um even in their you know for the student the the teens that you work with in their walk with the lord do you feel like that's more robotic in the sense that they're just going through the motions and oh i'll pose for a picture and then i'm happy in that (laughs) moment and then you know i'll take it and see how it looks and take some more like is it is that influencing their life to the extent that they're approaching spirituality in that way? I I'd say yes, a hundred percent. I um at Awaken we I get to we I say because there's a team of girls yeah. helping me. We get to just uh, pour into these girls, but before we pour in, well, we need to know what's going on, mm-hmm. you know. And so I'd say that majority of our high schoolers are going at it hard with these things like they take everything so personal and so real Mm -hmm. especially with uh, social media nowadays like I have them teaching me like what does that mean and the spam (laughs) account and like these these girls that have two accounts and the other one is for spam and they usually get bullied through there and they they have to be all rough and and beezies like that's where they direct Mm -hmm. message all these Mm -hmm. other girls from school that are messing with them so i think a lot of uh the the i didn't even know about that on the uh, world but see like it makes sense yeah it makes sense it's crazy like i do and i know some of my students have Mm -hmm. multiple accounts and now i'm like questioning yes and no it does cause (laughs) you to to wonder like why do you have multiple accounts right almost like can you not be yourself in just one account you know yeah and i feel like there's an identity crisis for sure in our high schoolers and 
So that compels me even more to like be more sure of what I'm teaching them and who their identity is, is, mm-hmm. is you are the Lord's, you are the God's most prized possession. Like you need to take care of yourself both inwardly and outwardly. And so I do, I do notice back to your question. I do notice there's like probably a higher craziness out there in high school. I remember being a high schooler. I mean, not totally a hundred percent, but these like identity crises that I would have. And I think it's really worse now. Like Mm. I, we didn't, I didn't have Instagram when I was in high school. Like I remember I had a flip phone when I was in high school (laughs) and texting was like with my, you know, the number pad, like like, now there was a T-Mobile slider. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think that they're um, predisposed to these things that they aren't taught how to deal with them appropriately and healthy. Like usually parents don't apply boundaries to the use of their phone or they don't even monitor what Mm. they're watching and what they're posting on their social media. Which it's like, I know what I see on social media. If I Mm. go to the explore page, I'm like, there's all kinds of, (laughs) there's all kinds of stuff going on, you know? And it's like not necessarily a reflection of what I want to see, but that's just what gets posted there. There's usually a little bit of, little bit of everything and i'm like you know i'm grown enough and mature enough to be able to Mm -hmm. decipher a lot of that and know what's going on and i think also because of my sort of background in performing arts i kind of know that a lot of these are stage moments for people and there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that you don't see Mm -hmm. that i feel like i'm used to seeing like all the craziness (laughs) So you can take it. So I'm just kind of like, okay, that's good. But honey, I know you're not slick. Like, I know that's not the whole picture there. But, you know, I'm going to support the good that's going on. And I just, for me, I don't get too caught up in thinking that whatever is put out there is 100% the truth. You know, And at the same time, I do respect what goes into people having certain accomplishments and understand that I don't think that everybody's life is like a complete mess behind their picture and be like, oh, you're just faking it or whatever. Like, you know, but I realize that this person is human and they're going through a human experience and that they are most likely not feeling however they're feeling in that picture 100% of the time. But if they feel that way in that picture, then, like, good for them. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I think there's one aspect to it that's that. And I think a lot of teens, at least some that I've spoken to about this issue, yeah. they say that there's not regulation of cell phones in high schools. Mm-hmm. It's usually a teacher-regulated thing. So they're able to some use their phones in class. Because I'll have some of my students look at things that I post throughout the day and I know they're in school. And I'm yeah, like, how are you able yeah. to see this? So, you know, I'll see that they like viewed my story or something. I'm like, um, like, shouldn't you be in math yeah, class or something? Yeah. But um, there's not a huge regulation of that. And I know certain parents are kind of, you know, uncomfortable about that as well. And some of the students that I speak to, By the time they're seniors in high school, they know, yeah, everybody's kind of on the same page. Everybody's stressed Mm. out with a lot of the same issues. So we kind of view each other like, okay, yeah, we kind of know what's going on with everybody and whatever we see is not the full picture, which was a little bit comforting to hear so that you don't think that like this is everybody's real life, you know? Because I think if you don't have that perspective, it can be a totally toxic world and an illusory world Mm. to really get sucked into. So, you know, I think what 
types of things can be done. I know that I've podcasted quite a bit over the last year talking about different mental health practices that can be taken into account, whether it's conflict resolution, um, interpersonal effectiveness, talking about cognitive and dialectical behavioral Mm, therapy, how that can be integrated in. I think there's a lot of tools that I wish that students had more access to and the truth is if you have access to the internet and you're interested to learn more about mental health like there are a lot Mm -hmm. of tools there i think that it is still something that is pretty stigmatized and you do work in the mental health realm and i would love for you to talk about that too it's it's something that i think there's still some work to be done in regards to that but you know when we are talking about you know, teens and mental health and the church and, you know, because you work on both ends of it, you know, you're in the spiritual side through Christianity mainly. And you're also in more of the medical Western traditional psychological, psychological realm of things. So what deficiencies are you kind of seeing or what areas in both of those realms are you feeling kind of like if there's a Venn diagram where certain things are so separate and where if they could overlap, it could make a great difference, but I understand that not everybody that is, you know, necessarily seeking Christianity, yeah. but where mental health can come into the Christian realm and be of service, because I feel like, you know, from our conversations that we've had, um, you know, off mic, <laughs> it's, it's been something that, you know, I know you've discussed that it's still kind of a taboo subject and yeah. people feel like, oh, it's the devil attacking me and you know, they don't feel safe to talk about yeah. feelings or they feel like if they try to address anything with anybody, it's too, um, you know, upfront. So where do you think mental health has its place within, I guess, the church? So I've seen a slight increase in a lot of, I would say, local churches in San Diego that have um, informed their audiences and the people in the church of the reality of mental health and how it can't be ignored and how it's important to seek a professional if you are, you know, just the church isn't enough sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so we can't just assume that because you go to church and pray, your depression's going to go away Mm -hmm. or your anxiety is going to go away. And and sadly, there's still people to this day that think that that's enough. And and it's not that Jesus isn't enough. It's just that Jesus has um, provided these these amazing outlets like therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy and um, psychiatrists and psychologists that are passionate about what they do and passionate about helping us whenever we're in need of their help. And um, I think it would be super amazing to like my dream thing to see is to have a psychologist and a psychiatrist and a marriage and family therapist like have like a Q&A panel at a church mm-hmm. and really inform the audience of the reality of this. And and for example, I had a client that um, attended church and was going to youth group and their parents thought that was enough. But clearly this kiddo had a lot of issues and one of them was sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it, the parents were like, no, well, you you need to just like get over it type of thing, not telling her get over it, but mm-hmm. it was a lot of that happened in the past. You're good now. And, and yeah, that happened in the past and maybe she forgave this person, but 
she's still battling with a lot of inner stuff. And she was battling with a lot of like, my parents are telling me that I'm dressing too promiscuous and I don't want to, but something in me wants to be like a little more provocative. And, and she was beautiful. So a lot of the boys like would want to get her attention Mm -hmm. and she didn't know how to apply the boundaries because all parents wanted her to do is learn everything at church. And so I was like, so where's your role as parents, you know? Um, <laughs> that is such a huh. that is such a true thing because I think even when it comes to sex education, yeah. a lot of parents now rely on school systems to take care of that. It's not something that's taken care yeah. of in the household, you know, just coincidentally. But. No, yeah. And it's important. I feel like, yeah, church is is amazing and it's it it's could be part of your spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. Um but also family. The family system needs to be this the support system that it's supposed to be. And so this girl battled with a lot of like, my parents are there, but not really there because they just throw me to youth group and then they take me to awaken and then I'm left here with all these questions. Good thing that we were there and we kind of oriented her on like what to do, but parents were really against therapy. They thought like she needs that just means like her relationship with Jesus is not solid. And so it was really sad to see that and. Um, I really hope I, I at least my prayers did enough or my advice, you know, or our suggestions and what we taught out awake and helped her yeah. through the, these this hard stage. But I do, I do feel like the church needs to be more open to the this idea of therapy and yeah. and for example, the Rock Church. I love that they have Rock Care Counseling, and that's amazing. A lot of a lot of my girls, I refer them there when I see that these patterns are just not breaking and it's like making the same mistake over and over again. And it's really causing them to be in danger, either sexually, physically, emotionally. So um, I would love to see the church be more open to that and having this like honest discuss- discussion on depression and how it can be a chemical imbalance. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like oh, you're so sad and you feel lonely, yeah. pity party. Yeah. No, it's like there's a lot of cases where there's a chemical imbalance in the brain and you need, need prescription for it. And it's not unbiblical and it's not like you're going to hell if you take prescription. You know, you're going and seeking out help to the right person, a psychiatrist, and you have to follow through with what's being recommended. And if you want to continue going to church, you go for it and incorporate Christ yeah. in your life. That's a huge plus. Yeah. But I do feel like there's just this imbalance in that it's either you don't or you do. And it's this like extreme line of like you either pick church and God or you pick therapy. And it's like, what about if we do both? Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like from my perspective, having, you know, I feel like I'm very open minded when it comes to a lot of different religions and things. And I love I was raised Christian. Yeah. And I'm very open minded to a lot of different religious practices. And I think when we look at the Christian lens and even even through like kind of Hinduism also, there can be seen that every single person has a, you know, a unique Mm -hmm. blueprint for what they're willing to do. And, And there was a Pastor Keith at um, Elevate in Texas, who I was able to see a sermon by him where he talked about we all have our unique fingerprint Mm. and Keith Craft. And he talks about this and how we all have a unique purpose. And just like you were saying, there's different psychologists, there's different therapists, there's different pharmaceutical people that have their job that are pharmacists that are able to create these things to like help, you know, and if I think we can see it from that lens that 
really everybody's doing the best that they can and there are a lot of tools available and keep an open-minded perspective on what things can heal um what types of things can heal because i think even meditation has an important part within um i think these are things that can enhance a person's spirituality or their faith if that really is the path that they are set on going down and there are mental health practices that can really help solidify someone's faith and Make it so that it's easier to access for yeah. them because I think when you are dealing with mental health issues or you're getting stuck in ruts or you're going through things in your life, there are sometimes other ways to get the answer mm-hmm. and to heal that and yeah. to rewire it neurologically, you know, for yourself and find a different answer other than exactly what maybe one pastor is yeah. saying or, yeah, or I these, agree. these few mentors. I think I've been blessed in my life to have a lot of different mentors and instructors and a lot of people that provide a lot of different perspectives for me. And I feel very blessed in that way. Yeah. And, you know, I know that I try to give as much of that knowledge that I can to the people that I interact with and on the podcast and I think it's it's something that can be enriching. I think mm. diversity creates so much, you know, more of a rich environment. Yes. You know, even yeah. when you look at compost from, you know, fruit and stuff or anything, <laughs> it's like you put things back into the soil. If it's just apple ground up or whatever, you know, remains the more nutrients that you have yeah. and you give back into that soil, the more rich it's going yes. to be. And whatever grows out of that is going to be so um much more fruitful. Yes. So I think there's a lot that we can do for our youth in regards to providing them a plethora of tools yes. to really be guided with. Now, what was your inspiration behind Awaken and creating it? Yeah. Um. So Awaken started four years ago. This year in July will be our fifth year. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Yay. Thank you. Um, so that was really inspired my last year in college. So my senior year in college at San Diego Christian College, I lived on campus as a resident advisor. And so I was interacting with a lot of the girls that were living on campus that were in my hall. And I noticed a lot of these girls would come to me late night, late night hours where I was like, where's bring me some coffee, you know, <laughs> but it was late, late at night. And, um, they would come in really trying to, to talk to me about situations that they were going through in life and really asking me, I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do? And I was like, I wish I knew what I could tell you to do. And so I realized that a lot of my response to that was, um, encouraging them to really seek out this, genuine relationship with Jesus and not so much religion, but a relationship with Jesus Mm -hmm. that really looked like an everyday type of conversation with him and and seeking him and um, being really honest with him about their doubts and their questions. And so after so many girls started coming in, I mean, it wasn't like hundreds, but like about 10 girls came in in that year that I was there, I decided to open a small Bible study where we could just sit like in the lunch area and talk about life and then do a devotional together. And so that went so well that it started growing. And these girls were inviting other girls that didn't even live on campus Mm -hmm. and didn't even assist the school that we were at. And I noticed that the all these girls 
were just like me. We were hungry for more of Jesus and and we needed something to cling to when times got tough and when family stress was like at its peak. And so um, I realized that it wasn't only like the scripture reading and the worship time, but also the, hey, I'm right here for you. Like if you need a community. Yes, totally. The community that we found amongst each other was so great. So I graduated college and I remember my number one concern wasn't what am I doing after college, but what's going to happen to this group of girls that I started? And after much prayer and talking to my parents about it, they're like, well, you're moving back home. Why don't you keep doing it? But at home. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, okay, that that sounds like a great idea. So that's exactly what I did. Um, And it eventually got its name Awaken the Movement. And so now we, we, we meet once a month, every month, and we do just that. We are a community of girls that are hungry for Jesus and really pressing forward despite what, what life throws at mm-hmm. us. So that's a, a huge thing that I've seen from this. I've seen so many things, but the number one that stands out this last year, 2018, was that um, we were so focused on Jesus and so focused on how much we are loved and how much— um we were created for with purpose and calling that no matter what happens around us, our goal and our aim is to be with him. And so I saw how a lot of these girls would get empowered and Mm -hmm. despite drama would break in high school and our older girls would have like real (laughs) tough crises with boyfriends or fiancés that they would run to us as a community and we would get together and pray and like, hey, so what happened? Oh my gosh, no way. But rather than it be gossiping, because that can turn into gossip Mm -hmm. real quick, it was more of like, okay, well, this happened, but how can we find a solution for it? it? And so... Awaken was really birthed from that. It was my heart to really be there as a sister, as a big sister um, to these girls that are just like me, like in in life. And sometimes life hits you really hard and you're like, where do I turn to? And Mm -hmm. so this is a place, a safe place that they can totally turn to. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And when you talk about, you know, when we were talking about earlier, sometimes people are like, okay, forgave that. I have let that go, even if they've had like abuse in the past, but they're still just like, okay, but what do I go to now? I'm so grateful that you're creating this and you're continuing to work in this realm because it is something that I think allows another person to have that next step to go to Mm. and really move on. Yeah from what they've been through in their life and being that supportive community of uh, women and young women who they can relate to. It's not necessarily, I think, you know, we had talked about this another time, how we do kind of feel like there is a bit of a gap between 30, 40 year olds and like teenagers and like Mm. there being a lack of kind of connection and understanding there. And I really feel like through what you're doing, most of the counselors and the girls that are in the administrative, I guess, yeah. kind of end of it, um, per se, are are kind of help helping to bridge that gap. Yes, in a sense. Yes, yeah. So now, being that you work in the mental health field, do you want to talk about a little bit in regards to what you do, so people have a better understanding of that and what um, what your work entails and how that has kind of been something that's been a part of your passion as well. Yeah. So I am currently working for the county as a clinical case manager at a nonprofit. And so I what I pretty much do is oversee these cases and um, right under 
below me are behavior coaches who we send out to the home to work with the family to teach um, the kiddos how to better manage their anger outburst or if they're having depressive symptoms or behaviors, finding appropriate coping skills and healthier coping skills than cutting or mm-hmm. utilizing like other means Drugs, to let alcohol, go of that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yes. We have a lot of kiddos that are just addicted to cannabis and they want to let go of that, but they don't know how because that's all they've mm-hmm. been using as a yes. per se coping skill. Um, so I work with that. So I'm able to work with the whole entire family, sometimes even extended family. And um, I sit down with them. I assess the needs of the family and then we go forward in figuring out what can we do to help this family out and this kiddo um, decrease this sort of aggressive behavior, very intense behavior. And really, our goal is for them to refrain from these behaviors so they don't get hospitalized or they don't move into a residential program, mm-hmm. which that's like the most severe cases right, right. are those. Yeah. Now, a lot of kids or teens especially, I know they usually go to their friends for advice Mm. because even if they have counseling, even if they kind of have like an older friend or somebody, they don't really want to go to their parents. They don't really want to go to counseling. They want to just talk to their friends about it. Um, I was a little bit different when I was younger. I wanted to go to the older people (laughs) because I was like, I want a solid opinion about stuff. Um, Not that I didn't trust my peers, but I've always kind of tended to be the person where I want to go towards someone who has a little bit more maturity and more years of experience. And I was just kind of raised in that way, I think, um, as a dancer to really seek older mentors Mm -hmm. and learn from those teachers. And you realize how much they can teach you in such a short amount of time versus someone who maybe does not have the same level Mm -hmm. of experience. So, again, I was grateful to have that. However, in this time, I feel like a lot of kids are a feeling stigmatized to be going through a lot of this stuff yes. or it's just kind of accepted like oh everybody feels like yeah. you know they want to die sometimes or life is too hard or whatever it's just you just gotta like keep going yeah. or whatever but what would you suggest to teens that are either dealing with onset signs of anxiety and depression what can they do to be there for their friends and how can they be there for themselves as well yeah maybe just like i don't know three things yeah i'd say Uh, first things first is seek help. And I love what you mentioned is um, how you were able to go to older people that were had more wisdom in that specific area. I think a lot of of teens think like there's no way I can tell my teacher or there's no way I can tell my school counselor or my grandmother or my mom. I think we all have someone we can go to and it's just stepping over that fear of like, what if they judge me? What if they like don't really respond the way I want mm-hmm. them to respond. I, I think one is it's really seeking out that help from someone that has been placed in your life. And I feel like we can right now I'm trying to picture someone that I can identify in my life that I can go to and I can picture that person mm-hmm. maybe two or three. And it, it's really about stepping back and thinking like, well, I honestly really do connect a lot with that uncle or with that aunt or actually with my mom. I've talked to my mom about like, 
some of my deepest, darkest secrets or my older sister. I think it's important that um, teenagers are able to have that person, but be brave enough to seek him themselves. Totally. Um, And sometimes it's a teacher. I remember I had a teacher in high school that I would run to when I felt like at my lowest point, point, and she would always seem to cheer me up and bring like the best out of me despite what I was going through. So I think it's important, one, to do that. Two is to be real with what you're dealing with. It's don't hide it. Mm-hmm. I think um, the first like instinct we get whenever we have issues and it's happened to me before, I want to suppress it and I want to hide it and I don't want anyone to know about it because you think you're the only one dealing with this. But if we were to able to speak it out, you would you would see that really you're not the only one dealing mm-hmm. with this. And so I think being honest with your being honest with yourself and honest with that person that you're seeking wisdom from is so key. I, because I really do feel like the Lord places key people in your life for seasons in mm-hmm. your life, and and I believe that whether a person believes in God or not, God is a God of love. And so he will place people that will love you despite the what ifs or the what nots. Um, and so reaching out to those people and seeking guidance from them is, is such an important thing. Cause I do see how many of the kids we get to work with feel like they don't have a support system, but in the treatment phase, we create support systems for them. And they're like, dang, I didn't realize how much I had, like how many people really do love me and care about me. Mm-hmm. And it's just really opening their eyes to the thing that's right in front of them and being able to plug them and create like this plan with them. Like whenever you're feeling suicidal, being able to text that person or now we have like a hotline mm-hmm. for a suicidal hotline. But I, I definitely think it's that like reaching out and uh, being brave and honest with where you're at with your story whether you're a believer or you're not whether you're religious or you're not spiritual or not you don't have to be spiritual to be honest and um the last the last part would honestly be be patient with yourself that was like huge and another for me. person too yeah if you're helping a yes. friend be yeah. patient with your therapist be patient <laughs> with your friend like if they have setbacks if they have um times where they fall again um, or just like don't, from your perspective, seem to be seeing things clearly. Yes. Being able to be patient with them yeah. and encouraging them like, hey, you might not see it now, but there's a work in progress right now and we need to focus on the end goal. Yeah. So I do I do believe that, that once people start tapping into that part of our lives, those sources that um, God has placed, a lot of amazing things can happen totally. and pre- be prevented. Mm-hmm. Another question I wanted to get to was, you know, that we live in a world with so many expressions of illusions and there's so much access to illusory mediums through social media, so many sources of really desire. And there's a lot of conflicting beliefs on things. And growing up, I have to say, getting into the vegan realm of things and raw vegan when I was in 19 early 20s that's when i was like getting into it i also did meet a lot of people that were experimenting with psilocybin mushrooms with lsd dmt um cannabis a lot of different drugs because they were just like really wanting to open their Mm -hmm. mind and they were really out there with their thinking and i never judged i would always kind of be curious about their experiences be like oh like what was that like or um ayahuasca was another thing too um plant medicine in Peru and I've had friends of mine that have had really profound spiritual experiences on that and it's been very 
eye-opening and mind-opening for them. I've never personally felt called to try any of those things or even harder drugs like cocaine or mm-hmm. heroin. Um, but I know that this can be a tease. Even things like nicotine for a lot of teenagers, they're like, oh, like, you know, God created all of these things too. And why shouldn't we partake in that and expand our minds? And the church is kind of this old construct and it's a way of controlling people. And you look at these smaller societies where they have less income and there's a lot more churches because they want to be able to give some people something to believe in and people that are the most free in life, like they don't really have any of those constructs. So I think there are, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing what I'm seeing with a lot of um, young people on social media that are just like, no, travel the world, do this, do that, be promiscuous, like do all these things. And I don't necessarily judge like other people for whatever their past is, whatever they've done, whatever their choices are. Um, you know, there's a large part of me that just says if you feel really called to do something, then do that and learn from it. Um, you know, but I know that there are people that differ in their belief and say, oh, well, you know, if you go to Christ and Jesus, then it just kind of seems a little too easy. Like every aspect of you is accepted by this, you know, mm-hmm. invisible figure mm-hmm. and what do you have faith in? And it can seem very intangible for a lot of people yeah. as well. So they think, why have these boundaries? Why not just really let loose and try whatever I feel? And, um, you know, so I do see that I know that I experienced that a time ago. Um, and I still see it from time to time, not as much. However, I think this generation, they do have access to that a lot more. And there's a lot more drug substances that are coming out that are, you know, designer drugs, even things like this, that, um, you know, are influencing their behavior. And I want to know kind of your opinion on that. And where do you draw the boundaries? Where is it mind expanding and where is it really going into a realm where you're going down a path that yeah. is going to take some time to get back? And is that what people really want? Because I think for me growing up, I never chose to do any of that stuff. And I worked with a lot of um, homeless that came from a past of drug yeah. and alcohol abuse Um I did a lot of volunteer work. So I think from my experience, I saw a different side of it. I understand that some people believe that they can have a healthy relationship with those things and it can be mind opening. It's not necessarily the path I feel drawn yeah. to. Um, but yeah, I just want to know your opinion yeah, on that. No. And I, I think I'm on the, I'm on the same side as you are um, and not judging anyone in any way. I, I see it the same way. I think um, I believe that God gave us a free will. So it, I love the fact that he doesn't force himself upon us or force anything upon us. It's really up to us. And that's the way that I see that too. It's, it's really a decision and every decision we make has a consequence, either positive or negative. Mm -hmm. For me, it was definitely like no way Jose type of thing because of what I grew up in with my dad. So my Mm -hmm. dad used cocaine for a very long time and he was highly addicted to it. And um, I remember asking him as I was like studying psychology and like the reasons why we do such things. And is there like a link to your childhood or trauma or anything like that? I remember doing one of my papers on drugs. And so my teacher was like, pick someone in your family like that c- consumed that or was addicted to it. It's like, oh, perfect. My dad. So I went through this whole like interview process with my dad about, do you know why you did it? Like, 
was it good? Was it bad? Like, what do you think of it now? And why do you think of that thing now? And not, why didn't you think that way before? Mm -hmm. And so for my dad, and it doesn't have to be applicable to everyone. For my dad, he says that drug was filling a void that he felt all his life. Yeah. And so he thought that he was just going to be able to use it once Mm -hmm. or whenever he wanted. and, And that was good. But little did he know that he was addicted to it and the way it made him feel because it it made him feel good. It it on a brain chemical. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it totally um, took him on a trip where he wasn't in reality. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that's what he wanted. He Mm -hmm. didn't want to face reality and the pain of it. And he suffered a lot as a child. So he said a lot of it was numbing for him. And, and so for me, it was, I've never done drugs. And um, I feel like I've been around friends that have done them for a very long time that I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah. But yeah. if you want to do it, cool. Yeah. Um, but I'd say for, for me that that's a personal, like definite no. Yeah. Um, especially with my, my personal convictions with the Lord have definitely been no. Yeah. And just cause I don't know. I feel like when you have it in your family, you're kind of predisposed to maybe being addicted yourself. Right. Yeah. And so, and I see that pattern in my uncles and in my yes. aunts and even in my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Like it, nicotine was like huge and yeah. alcohol, alcohol was like at every party, at every serious conversation, at every funeral. It was like the way that you cope with this is you drink your life away. And so both of my grandparents died from liver cancer. And I remember like, being not mad but so confused on like why would someone consume something that's harming their body right like if they yeah. go to a doctor and the doctor's like you need to stop smoking or cut back on your smoking because you're affecting your organs and it's like no it must be something else you know so um or this is just what i have to do to get by yeah Don't i know nothing me. else yeah and that's yeah. it and i've tried your god thing because that's been huge in our family my dad's <laughs> the only believer and my dad's 16 out of 18 brothers and sisters Ooh, girl so his mission was always like we have to like uh introduce like our family to jesus and he's always been Always like never pushing it on them in such a loving way. But like I said, it's their choice. And for them, it's been like, nah. But it's funny because whenever there's issues or problems, the the ones um, that run to him are are to my dad are all these people are like, yeah, can you pray to your God for us? My dad's like, you have access to him. You don't need to like, you know, you don't need to like do a spiritual thing or like be perfect. He hears you wherever he's actually with you right now. And they're like what where so we start like these really awesome conversations but for me personally it would be a no and definitely with mental health um seeing that is really sad like it it doesn't just start with weed it escalates and Mm -hmm. i've seen that with kind of a gateway it can be it can be it can be not every case but i've seen most cases where my coworkers will talk about a certain case like they've had this kid for eight years and now he's like addicted to Xanax and like all these like crazy things that I feel like every month there's like a new drug and I'm like wait what's that like what does that do and so um and a lot of these they don't you know like you said they don't really they're not going to fix the void they're not going to fill the void and I feel like to a certain extent every human being it's like we have a bit of a void and that's okay Mm -hmm. it's not like every person is because they think people are like oh i'm whole like you can be whole and still have a (laughs) little bit of a void that's totally fine and i think you know i'm really proud of the work that you're doing to do some of the things that 
that heal a lot of that emptiness that yeah. people can feel and build that community and um, not only through Awaken, but through your your work yes. with, you know, mental health yes. in the community. I think those things are so important and sharing more of those tools are really going to be useful for the next generation because I think when we, when I, what I envision and what I hope for is that people at the very least feel affirmed by themselves and they feel affirmed and empowered, you know, to be able to do good action in their mm-hmm. life and to not feel so much guilt and, um, you know, not to be debilitated in any way from really being of their highest service mm, in their life. Yeah. So I really congratulate you on that. And I really want to, you know, hear from your perspective of just what advice would you give for any, maybe there's a couple listeners that are struggling with something and they're wanting to find their way of living their authentic purpose in life and really giving back to the world in such a way that's very meaningful to them. Yeah. Um, I'd say don't get frustrated with yourself. Um, it, it's really easy to get frustrated if you don't look like the person next to you or if you're not as successful as the person to your right or to your left or to the person that you're really um, encouraged by or motivated by or inspired by, in better words. Um, I'd say like continue with what you feel that's inside of you. If you feel called to reach out to the homeless community, you do that. And if you feel like called to um, teach others how to eat healthy and take care of their bodies appropriately, you go ahead and do that. And I'd say get rid of the comparison because that that's a huge killer. I know I've been through seasons where even in my ministry, I'm like, dang it, like, we need more followers or we need, we need a bigger audience or, oh my gosh, we didn't have that many girls show up at our gathering this month. And it can be, that can be dangerous and, and it can lead you into a, a very wrong road of like, oh, maybe this wasn't for me. Actually, maybe I should just go back to my old job and not even care about making an impact. And I think we're all called to be an impact. And like you, you're really talented. You're an amazing dancer. And so I feel like that's a gift that was given to you. So we're all filled with gifts and and it's, it's, it's amazing to be in that journey of searching out what your gift and your calling is, but it's don't get frustrated and don't give up. Don't give up. Even if people shut the door in front of you, you keep looking for the other door and you keep seeking um, because there's going to be a person that's going to open the door and say, come right in. Like, I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. Well, Bianca, yeah. thank you so much for your time. It's been well, lovely to have you. If you guys want to find more information, there'll be links in the show notes. Until then, we'll see you next time. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. 
Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.